0: Welcome back to Midweek Bible Study. Uh, Pastor Steve, very glad to be with you all again. Uh, You know, we humans are capable of high highs and low lows. As those made in the image of God, we can display amazing virtues, can't we? But as those riddled with sin, man, we can display awful vices. And Peter's high moment of declaring Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, is followed by Peter's low moment of doubting Jesus and, and rebuking him about his upcoming suffering and death, right? God has revealed this to you, Peter, is followed by get behind me, Satan. Uh, and this week we're going to see David's high uh, when he leaves things in God's hands, and it's followed by David's low when he takes things into his own hands. There are valuable lessons, I think, for us to learn from both the highs and the lows here. If you're following along the outline I sent, you'll see David's high in chapter 24, uh, under the headings, uh, David spares Saul, David speaks to Saul, and David swears to Saul. And then you'll see David's low in chapter 25, under the headings, David angered by Nabal, David appeased by Abigail, and David avenged by the Lord. So we begin with David spares Saul in 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 to 7. Once uh, Saul has tended to that Philistine raid against the land that ended the last chapter, he resumes his obsessive pursuit of David, who is now in the wilderness of Engedi. It's a unique rocky terrain with some fresh water. David and his Excuse me, Saul and his 3,000 hand picked elite soldiers set out against David and his 600 ragtag men. Right there, outnumbered five of Saul's special forces soldiers to every one distressed, broke, bitter man who was following David. How's that going to turn out? (laughs) Well, outnumbered, David and his men understandably are hiding way back in the innermost portions of a cave, and then Saul enters it alone. He he needs some privacy to relieve himself, and, and David's men are whispering to him that the Lord has given David's enemy into his hands for him to deal with as he wishes. Here's your chance, David. Kill him! Get him! David, though, doesn't see it the same way, right? He does sneakily come up and stealthily cut a corner from Saul's robe. And and even with that one small act, he is conscience-stricken that that he's gone too far. Perhaps he feels like that was an act of symbolic rebellion, cutting the king's robe. But in David's mind, you see, Saul had been given his position by the Lord. And only the Lord could take it from him. God's will, you see, must be done in God's way. God's will must be done in God's way. As Jonathan had said back in chapter 20, verse 16, the Lord would take vengeance on David's enemies. David needed to leave things in God's hands and not take them into his own hands. So David restrains his men from attacking Saul. He only, not only doesn't attack him, he keeps his men from attacking him. Saul strolls out of the cave, safe as could be. Interesting, isn't it, that what David's men see as providence, God is giving your enemy into your hand, David sees as a temptation to wrongly lift a hand against God's anointed. They're they're looking at the same event, but they're interpreting it very differently. So when we face such situations, what principles can guide us to distinguish a God-given opportunity that we should pursue, from a shortcut temptation that we should resist. Something for you to work out in your small groups. Brings us to our second section, David speaks to Saul. Uh, After Saul had gone his way, David emerged from the cave and called out to Saul, my lord, the king! Uh, As Saul looked back, perhaps from a safe distance, maybe even nearing an adjacent hill, we don't know, David bowed down to the ground. He prostrated himself with his face to the ground uh, he respectfully questions why Saul has listened to those who who suggest David is bent on harming him. No, he he draws attention David does to the evidence that the Lord delivered Saul into David's hand right there in the cave, and and he shows him the piece of the robe that he had cut off, and kind of like that's how close you were to losing your life, Saul. Uh, and then David asks Saul to see, I'm not guilty of any wrongdoing or treason. Uh, You're hunting down an innocent man who hasn't sinned against you. And and so David calls on the Lord to judge between them and to avenge Saul's wrongdoings. But as for David, he's not going to touch him. (laughs) Though others had urged David to kill Saul, he spared him. And he would not lift his hand against his lowercase l, Lord, because he is the uppercase l, Lord's anointed. And he's David's father-in-law too, let's not forget that as well. As the old proverb says, David, David quotes it, out of the wicked comes wickedness. You see, if David had been wicked, then he would have killed Saul on the spot. But Saul was the wicked one who was trying again and again to kill David, who was innocent. Well, David respectfully recognizes Saul's authority. He is the king of Israel. And he asked why Saul would pursue a, a dead dog or a flea? He's no direct threat to Saul. David again, notice, calls on the Lord to be their judge and decide between them. For the Lord to see to it and uphold David's cause, vindicating him by delivering David from Saul's hand. With amazing, amazing trust, David was leaving it in God's hands. Way before, a millennia before Paul ever wrote it, David was living out, Romans twelve nineteen. Behold, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Brings us to our third section, David swears to Saul. David asks whether, it, Saul turns back when he hears David's voice, is, is that the voice of you, David, my son? He uses this term of endearment for his son-in-law. He's maybe softening a bit here. Uh, so he even wept aloud, Saul did, and he, he does show some temporary remorse. Uh, in fact, he doesn't send his troops to go slaughter David and his men at the mouth of the cave. Uh, Saul acknowledges that David is more righteous than he is. Da- David's even repaid Saul good, whereas Saul has repaid David evil. Right? <laughs> All those spears and murder attempts, yeah. He had given David evil. Well, Saul acknowledges that the Lord put him into David's hands, and he says, that's not natural for a man to let his enemy go away safe. He is astonished, and we are astonished, I think, at how David loved his enemy, prayed for those who persecuted him, as Jesus would teach us. So Saul calls for the Lord to reward David with good for the way that he treated Saul, and he says... Maybe it seems like perhaps in others hearing that he knows David will surely be king. And the kingdom of Israel will be established in David's hand. Just like Jonathan earlier in chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, Saul asked David, Will you swear by the Lord that you won't cut off my offspring or or wipe out my name when you become king? David mercifully does swear to Saul, who then, Saul, returns home. But you notice David did not at that point come out in the open, thinking everything was reconciled. Since Saul had been known to flip-flop quite frequently, and he wasn't trustworthy, David took his men up to the stronghold. Chapter 24, big picture, is a high, high, right? As David leaves Saul in the Lord's hands. May we leave things in the Lord's hands as well. But right on the heels of that high, high of chapter 24 comes the low, low of chapter 25 as David takes things into his own hands. Well, first we're told that Samuel died and all Israel assembled to mourn him. The stable spiritual guidance of this godly leader was now missing from Israel. And, And David has taken his men, we're told, to the wilderness of Paran, uh, nearby, uh, perhaps about a mile away in Carmel, we are introduced to a mismatched couple. If there ever was one, the husband Nabal is very rich—three thousand sheep, a thousand goats. He's also harsh and, and badly behaved. He's a mean, surly guy. And the wife Abigail, by contrast, is discerning and beautiful. She's got great character and great looks. She reminds me of Sue. And David hears that it's sheep shearing time. Uh, That's a festive occasion for Nabal. So he sends his 10 young men to greet Nabal in in David's name. He wishes him peace, right? Shalom to you, to your house, to to all that you have. Uh, And the delegation is sent to point out the good treatment that David's group gave to Nabal's shepherds and his property, right? With a request for whatever you have at hand, you know, And he wasn't asking for a lot, right? It was only what 10 guys could carry back for for 600. Uh, They request payment then for the protective services that they had rendered at the normal time to reward shepherds at the sheep shearing time. And some have suggested that, David, is he engaging in a kind of a protective racket here? (laughs) You know, extortion? uh, Hey, nice spread here, Nabal. Yeah, it'd be a shame if a... A brush fire got started here. Uh, Could you spare any sheep for us? No, it's not like that. It's a request for a just compensation. And Nadal completely disrespects David and his name. Who is David, the son of Jesse? Uh, He's a breakaway servant, you know, Uh, which implies that, listen, David, you're running from Saul. You're not going to be able to go to Saul, the king, to get justice in this situation. Nabal rudely refuses David's reasonable request. There's going to be no sharing, notice of my bread or my water or my meat that I have killed for my shearers to give to these men coming from who knows where. <laughs> Scram! Out of here! No! And when David hears the report of Nabal's words... He calls for 400 of his men to strap on their swords and he straps his on and they're getting ready for conflict. 200 are going to stay with the supplies and these 400 are marching off. Nabal had made a potential friend into an armed enemy. But also notice what David did not do. He did not inquire of the Lord about how to respond. He did not inquire of the Lord about how to respond. Instead, he acts rashly out of hot anger. The same guy who would not take vengeance on Saul, who was trying to kill him, is now ready to kill Nabal for snubbing him over some sheep and goats. Like Saul, now he's taking matters into his own hands. Uh, David has not made the wisdom transfer, we might say, from the situation with Saul, where he left it in God's hands, to Nabal, where he's taking it into his own hands. As, As Alistair Begg reminds us, the best of men are men at best, and that's true of David. But thankfully, one of the servants explains the situation to Abigail. Uh, David, hey, listen, he, he brought respectful greetings. They were met with Nabal's railing insults. And, and David's men had been a protective wall around Nabal's shepherds and sheep. And so they hadn't lost a thing and they were good to us. And, and now disaster is looming over Nabal's whole household. He, he's such a worthless man. It's hopeless to even talk to him. He can't even talk to the guy. And remember, David is red hot. He's got 400 armed men, and they are marching toward Nabal's estate, and the outcome is not going to be pretty. But so often, as we see in the Bible, in this case as well, this servant, though a minor character, is of major significance as he brings word to Abigail. And we see then in the next section, David is appeased by Abigail. Abigail immediately takes action. She's loading donkeys with bread and wine and sheep and roasted crane and raisin cakes and fig cakes. Man, I love raisins and fig cakes. Whipping up a a peace offering picnic in no time at all. Kind of like the Gerbers, right, with our church this Sunday. Uh, Food for 600? No problem. We got it. (laughs) You know, Uh, The plan was the servants would start out and then Abigail would follow. And Nabal would not be told any of this. Well, just before Abigail met David, kind of under the, the cover of the mountain, uh, David had been complaining uh, about watching over Nabal's property for nothing, right? He's getting himself worked up over, uh, he, he gave me evil for good, and I'm going to kill every male belonging to this guy by tomorrow morning. It's going to be a slaughter. Like a slaughter? Like You mean like Saul and Doeg? Now, David... The restrainer who had kept his men from killing Saul in the cave, chapter 24, now he must be restrained from killing Nabal in chapter 25. And thankfully, Abigail is the restraining force. She humbly bows down at David's feet. She asks for the guilt to be on her alone. She pleads for David to listen to her rather than this worthless fellow Nabal, who really suits his name, a fool. Abigail explains that she had not had contact with that small delegation of 10 young men that David had previously sent, or the outcome would have been different. And then she launches into one of the most beautiful speeches in Scripture, where we see David, who had been angered by Nabal, now being appeased by Abigail. She starts by crediting the Lord, the Lord with keeping David from bloodshed. And from avenging himself with his own hands. Abigail rightly says that Yahweh, the Lord, has restrained David from impulsive, vengeful blood guilt. Like Jonathan earlier, Abigail expresses her wish that David's enemies and those who seek to do evil to him would just be as Nabal. And just as Jonathan had sided with godly David over ungodly Saul, his dad, so Abigail sides with God's anointed here, David, rather than her husband's foolishness. She offers the gift of food and drink that was there. She begs forgiveness for Nabal's offense. She she proclaims the Lord is going to make a lasting dynasty for David. That is the first biblical reference to a sure house for David because, hey David, you fight the Lord's battles. You're not all about personal vendettas. God has called you to fight his battles. You don't need to take vengeance here. And Abigail is concerned, you see, that no wrongdoing be found in David. And she affirms that his life's going to be bundled up, like you bundle up a little baby bringing it home from the hospital, bundled up safely in the care of the Lord his God, in contrast to his enemies who are going to be slung out you know something about slinging out, you remember Goliath? And Abigail foretells in faith how the Lord will do for David every good thing that he has promised concerning David and will appoint him prince over Israel. If David will turn from that harm that he has planned for Nabal's household, then that staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself, you know, it won't be on his conscience. And don't be like Saul and Doeg. Don't, don't make caramel into another knob. No, you don't want any regrets in those late nights when you're pondering things in your palace. Don't let murderous Saul or obnoxious Nabal throw you off of God's course for your life. And when the Lord has brought you success, David, as I know he will, would, would you remember me, your servant? Will he ever? What a speech. I mean, she brings God's message to David at the perfect time. And David recognizes it right away. Right, Her words from God have recalibrated his mind and his heart to God. And now in his right mind and in his right heart, David blesses the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent Abigail to meet him that day. He wishes blessing for her discretion. And for keeping him from blood guilt and from avenging himself with his own hands, right? Leave it in God's hands. Don't get mad. Instead, let God get even in his time, in his way. You see, even a man after God's own heart needs correction. If the Lord had not used Abigail to keep David from harming Nabal's household. If Abigail had not come quickly to meet David, he would have slaughtered every male belonging to Nabal by daybreak. David receives and acts on Abigail's God-given words, thankfully. He also accepted her food gift, and he sent her home in peace. What was going to be a bloodbath is now a situation of peace, having obeyed her voice and granting her petition Brings us to our final section, David, avenged by the Lord. When Abigail was saving the household, Nabal was getting plastered. (laughs) I mean, David, in a sense, was a king, king king-to-be, who was tempted to act like a fool here, whereas Nabal was a fool who was pretending to act like a king with this big festivity he's throwing on. Well, he can't be talked to when he's drunk, so the next morning when he'd sobered up, Abigail caught Nabal up on the recent events, and when she told him the story, (coughs) he became like a stone. His heart died within him, it says, probably something like a stroke right there at the breakfast table or wherever they were. Uh, The Lord struck Nabal, in fact, about 10 days later, and he died, all for the sake of hoarding his property and a drunken party. When David hears the news uh, about this, he blesses the Lord for upholding his cause. Yes, the Lord had brought Nabal's evil down on his own head, but had kept David from doing evil. we can trust God's sovereignty, leave vengeance to the Lord. David then asks Abigail to marry him. She accepts humbly. She's she's ready to serve David and his servants. In fact, she's ready to endure the pressures of life on the run with him. Remember, he's still like a fugitive to Saul. Quickly, Abigail uh, hops on a donkey, uh, brings her five attendants with her. She becomes one of David's two wives uh, alongside Ahinoam of Jezreel. And then we have this note that Saul had given David's third wife, Michal, To another man, though we're gonna see when we get to 2 Samuel 3 that David still considers Michal his wife. And as we'll see later, this polygamy thing is is not a good idea. It's not God's design. Big picture, though, looking back, one commentator says the dominant, the dominant note of this chapter is that Yahweh, in his timely providence, restrains his chosen king from his own impulsive folly. And wrong. Abigail is the Lord's stop sign, mercifully placed in David's path. I thank God for so often restraining my impulses to folly and to wrong as well. Let's pray. Father, you are a God of great mercy, showing mercy to Saul through David, and showing mercy to David through Abigail. Uh, We confess, Lord, that all too often we want to and we do take things into our own hands rather than leaving them in your powerful, wise, just hands. Like David, we praise you for your restraining grace in our lives. We ask you to guard our hearts and our hands from folly and wrongdoing. We are prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. So here are our hearts, Lord, take and seal them. Seal them for your courts above that you might be glorified through Jesus, amen.